From the Green Room Studios at Bates Nursery in Nashville, Tennessee, it's the At Home Show Podcast Edition. Let's get into this week's show. Hey y'all, Caroline Gant here, and we are so happy that you are joining us in the premiere of the At Home Show Podcast. It is a weekly recap of our Saturday broadcast. That's right, and I'm Tyler Blankenship. I produce the show. I'm co-producing this podcast with Caroline. It's going to be a wonderful experience, and we're excited to have you all along. Hey, y'all. Austin here, and this week we talked a little bit about hydrangeas, or actually a lot of bit about hydrangeas because they are full show right now. Also, ambrosia beetles were on the list. We talked about transplanting some lavender, and also, like always, what's in bloom. It was a lively discussion with Josh Carey, David Bates, and the rest of the team here at the At Home Show, so let's get to it. Anyway, I am certain that there are questions that are out there. Oh, boy. Either go in through our Facebook page or Instagram pages and um, put questions YouTube. out there. Also have a link that uh, we put out through the weekly newsletter that I write, and this week was no exception. So without further ado, let's uh, proceed. Let's do it. I am wondering if a Ruby Falls or another Weeping Redbud would be good on the southwest side of a house. The area does take some wind, and I know it will have to be staked. The area is full sun with dappled late afternoon shade in northwest Tennessee. If it would not be a good place for that particular tree, can you suggest something weepy and in that color for the area? A weeping redbud? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Josh. I don't see why that would be a bad decision at all. That's one of the only, like, weeping purple redbuds, or really anything weepy that has that color is really that plant specifically. So... I think it's an excellent choice for something like that. Now, you might have to prune it eventually. You know, with most weeping things, the height doesn't change too, too much, okay? that That's slow to change because you've got the stems that go up a little bit, but then they turn down. That's the whole point of the weeping habit. Uh, the difference is, is the width really changes. So at some point, if it were to age and get upwards of, you know, say you've got 20 years old on you or something, you might have to eventually, you know, prune out the width of that plant being on the corner of the home, but... Other than that, I don't see any reason why that would be a bad choice because I don't know of any other, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't think of any other weeping dark leaf like that. Weeping chocolate mimosa. Oh. Ooh. Hey. Which I had yep. in this winter killed um, what was grafted, so now it's just a regular mimosa. Well, at least you still got something. You know, yeah, at least I still mean, got something. Yeah. One of the things that took with red buds, and they seem to be highly susceptible to it, are ambrosia beetles. I mean, they seem to move in overnight. It's hard to, you know, if you ever, if you wake up one morning and there appear to be toothpicks coming out of your tree, you know what has happened to you. Why don't we talk a, a little bit about that, Austin? The funny thing, this year has been it literally rampant with these bugs, and it's mainly because of the stress. So ambrosia beetles pick on trees that are stressed. They just do. It's a well-known fact. Um, I talked to a grower from Maple Valley, which is down in Alabama, who brings us plants. He's a great grower of plants. And um, he was telling me the stories about how he moved a Japanese maple one time, and it was very stressed. And after he had moved it and tried to transplant it and, and relocate it, it very quickly got ambrosia beetle, and it was just because of the stress of the plant. And I don't know what kind of signals that trees give off or whatever, but it's a stress thing. Hmm. And whenever that happens, ambrosia beetle can move in very quickly. And whenever they do, it's a battle you're not going to win. I'm sorry. They just, they're just they a plant killer. And what David's talking about is like these... Uh, it's called frass. It's where they tunnel in a boring insect that tunnels into the stem, and then it kicks out like this, you know, the leftover... Uh, sawdust. Yeah, yes. it's like sawdust pretty much. It just pokes out of the tree. 
Um, and it'll stay there as long as like wind or rain doesn't knock it off. And that's how you can tell if you've got ambrosia beetle. And you can really tell if you have, you have ambrosia beetle because your plant is going to die. I mean, it, it looks absolutely awful. And really the only way to, you know, to deal with that is to really, you know, dig it up and burn it uh, right. to kind of get rid of those insects if you can. So this has definitely been a huge year for ambrosia beetle. I've seen it all over the place. And huh. it's mainly because this winter just stressed our plants, a lot of them very hard. And red buds are no exception. They, they, they can certainly, you know, get that as well. They so. see for whatever reason, they seem to be susceptible even when the stress is not so largely a part of the equation. But as mm-hmm. you mentioned, there's a lot of indications of that. Steve Arnold, our assistant GM, is telling me he uh, had to uh, dig out and burn a crepe myrtle mm-hmm. in his yard. I saw that, it. He uh, showed me wow. the picture of it. It was yep. awful. I mean, it was yep. riddled with it. Now, when the viewer's wanting to plant this on the corner of the house... Would they really be good? Be, would it be a good idea for them to have a tape measure when they do this and, and put it a little bit further away than they think it really needs to be? Almost in any scenario yeah. for me, with any tree you decide to put on the corner of your home, yeah, like bring it out as much as you can. You know, make a rounded bubble in your bed or something that's out a little bit from the corner of the bed or out from the corner of the home. Um, I think that always looks a little bit better, yes. Well, and especially yeah, the single as they mature, large- yeah. Yeah, you know, the single largest, uh, most frequent mistake that we see people uh, doing is that they they tend to plant things so that it looks right at the size it is when Today, it is yeah. planted, mm-hmm. as as opposed to how it will look. And you know, these things grow. If you need to have that proven to you, just plant it too close; it's going to get too big. So it, you have to be able to put it out there at a distance that seems uncomfortably spacious. If the house was brick, would that affect it maybe a little bit? So southwest corner, I think is what they say. Not Does it get really too much tea? Red okay. Buds. Red buds okay. can take full sun all day long. I mean, yeah, they can live in the woods or on the okay. wood line. They're shade tolerant, mm-hmm. but they're totally fine with full sun. It, mm-hmm. See, the nursery's growing them there right out in full sun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all of our deciduous hardwood yeah. trees typically come from McMinnville, and they're grown in fields, just big, huge, full sun fields that have no shade at all. So... Like I said, shade tolerant, but uh-huh. to get the best effect, the real honestly, full sun is, is recommended. Let's keep on this tree topic, okay. shall we? All Recommendation right. for a medium-sized shade tree on a corner lot with power lines on either side. Medium-sized shade tree. I'm going one of David's favorites, and that's Styrax. Oh, that's a good mm. one. Mm-hmm. The old Japanese snowbell. Beautiful little white dainty blooms atop of this medium-sized to small tree. It does have a fairly wide canopy. It's almost similar in width as it is to height. At maturity, though, this plant's fairly slow to grow, so it's okay with the power lines. It'll be a while before you'd have to do anything about that, uh, but that's that's where I'm going. I like a good Styrax tree. Hardly anybody even knows about a Styrax tree, but when you have one, they are certainly pretty. Something more column there for sure. Absolutely. If you, It would be what I would think. I guess the problem with a columnar tree is that it's just not really a shade tree. Right. You know, they're wanting well, some true. shade. Depends on the time of day. I mean, it's kind of like There you a, go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one All of our right. listeners yeah. wants to transplant a Rose of Sharon that is one year old, and they're wondering when is the best time. Do this over the wintertime. That's going to be the, the least stressful on the plant, okay? So when it's dormant, has no leaves, you don't have to worry so much about water or hardly at all, really. Um, have your hole dug like we've always talked about. Get it, you know, get your site prepped where you want it to go. Dig it up. 
put it in there quickly, water it in really good, and then let it be. But let's wait. Let's just three thirty one day in February. There you go. That's Correct right. in yep. February. Not I transplanted now. one this winter, and it did great. And I'm going to transplant it again because that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Rosa Sharon is so tough. I mean, it's such a tough. Plant. It didn't I mean, even wilt. No. Um, actually, so I think I transplanted it in the spring, and it was already leafing out. It was because I planted an Amsonia where it was, mm. and. It had no shock at all. Hmm. You it, can't hurt a Rosa Sharon. No, you can't. Maybe I mean, it's feelings, but not physically. You can't hurt his feelings either. It's fine. It's, it's all happy. <laughs> right now, they are in full show. I get money right now. Okay, let's talk about lavender a little bit. Hmm. All my lavender got incinerated by this heat. What variety does best in our climate? I planted phenomenal Dude. this year, and it so far is doing fantastic. That is probably our tried and true cultivar that we all kind of get behind around here. It's called Phenomenal, like she just said, Lavender. Honestly, there's another reason why your Lavender did that. It's not the heat, It's usually. Moist. Lavender can take heat just about as good as anything. It's usually what's going on beneath the yeah. soil level with mm -hmm. Lavender, and it really needs a well-drained scenario, even... Um, you know, like a, a gravelly type mix you can mix in kind of with your soil or some people even use sand a little bit. I'm not big on sand all that much, but I don't think it was the heat. Hop huh? in real quickly because I was just talking about mine that I planted this year. And I have two others that I planted and just uh, I did use garden mix. All my other plants are doing great. The lavender is doing OK. And then in a different bed, like Austin was saying, I used Enlighten with this, which is Earth Mix expanded shale. And I put it underneath because Austin had actually suggested that. And that is the one that is not struggling at all. It looks gorgeous. It's in full bloom right now, and it's gotten huge. And this is the first year that I've had no issues whatsoever with lavender. Uh-huh. And she's talking about expanded shale, which is those little tiny rocks pretty much is what it looks like to y'all. But adding that into your mix with lavender is such a great thing to do. It's just they really, really like that. A nice, loose, well-drained soil. Certainly over the wintertime, those rocks are very, very useful in the, in the ground because they can get wet. We can get wet here over the wintertime, and lavender does not like that. If people are wondering what expanded shale actually is, it is indeed shale that has been heated, and it makes it puff up and becomes porous. Right. And that also makes it a less dense product. If you've seen pop, pop uh, or rocks? ever had, <laughs> if you've ever had, if you've ever had lightweight concrete, uh, it is uh, lightweight because it has had this expanded shale product used as the aggregate part of the concrete mm. instead of limestone, which is much more dense. The At Home Show is brought to you by Earthmix Garden Products, creating high quality, sustainable soil blends and amendments in the southeast. It's hot and your plants need some mulch. Why not use Fines by Earthmix? Their finely shredded pine bark mulch offers unmatched moisture control and fantastic texture in your garden. Not only a great mulch, but an excellent soil conditioner to assist with drainage in beds and containers. Visit earthmix.net for more information and a list of retailers near you. Remember, success begins at the ground level when you choose Earthmix garden products. Barbara's asking, do you have suggested plants for a small rain garden, like around a downspout? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my go-to on this always is switchgrass. Mm -hmm. That's a great I one. I love my switchgrass. It's only like four to five foot tall, stays nice and tidy, very upright, handles that water just fine. Uh, there's a lot of different rain garden plants. We get this a lot. There's a lot of uh, builders in Nashville that once they finish a home, they have to 
install like a rain garden and they have to they come out here and they ask us and we've got a whole list of plants that are rain garden approved um something like itea comes to mind it's a good yep. little uh rain garden plant that's got really pretty fall color a great little bloom it's an underused plant really a lot of people don't know about it sweet spire is a common name um, and there's a dwarf variety that doesn't get all that big. You know, you're talking three to four feet tall. That's about it. I've got another, uh, <laughs> I heard about Golden Alexander, which is a, a host plant for the swallowtail butterfly. And I planted it right where my AC unit drains. And in the summer, it's literally like a puddle and it's doing just fine. There's a whole lot of different looks you can get and still uh, be able to manage a wet spot and have a good look in the process. Nyla is asking, my snake plant is producing two babies. Is it okay for me to repot her in earth mix now, or should I wait until after the babies have come through the soil more? You can repot it now. Those are really, really, really hardy plants, especially when they start growing pups, but they like to be really tight in their pot. So I suggest if those pups, those new little plants that are coming up, are not pushing against the pot or close to it, I would leave it in that pot until next year and then repot it. Mm -hmm. But now is the time to do it if you want to go ahead and it's pushing out of that. And uh, Earthmix Proganics I, if that is accessible to you, is a great thing to use with that. I usually mix a little bit of perlite to help with drainage because those like to stay dry. But congratulations, you got some babies on that snake plant. Hey, you want to know about my snake plant? Yes, we are dying to know. I've had the same snake plant in a pot for 12 years. How does it look? Oh, at the moment, it looks absolutely awful. But that's just because I recently had my daughter cut it back. 12 years in the same pot. It's a little tight. Caroline's talking about how they like to stay tight, and they do. But this one... That's real tight. Real tight. So I had her cut every single leaf to the dirt. Every single one of them to the dirt. I've got no foliage whatsoever, except they're they're starting. You know, it's coming back. It's totally fine. wonder if there's a connection. Yeah. I, mm-hmm, yeah. Weird, huh? But cause and effect, you say. Uh-huh. There's okay. no foliage, but there is a singular bloom spike. Wow. Oh, it is in. Yeah. It is blooming right now as we speak. This tall bloom spike with no foliage below it that is starting to come back. So there you go. Like Caroline said, very hardy plant. I've had it forever, and uh, it's it is tight. Blooms, too, on Sansevieria. A lot of times we'll smell really sweet. So once mm-hmm. it starts to open, give it a little smell. Yeah, it's great. I water it like uh-huh. five times a year, <laughs> maybe. Whenever I do water it, I soak it. I mean, really soak it. But like it's literally like five times a year it might get water. Yeah, they don't it's like crazy. water. So no. take, hey, a, take a note out of Austin's book over there. Hey, leaves don't are clean. Don't overwater your houseplants. Leaves are clean. Y'all, follow up. Uh, what fertilizer do you recommend for indoor plants? For indoor plants, so I'm, I wouldn't say I'm lazy. I just have a lot of houseplants. So I like a slow release that I do once a year. I use Osmocote for a lot of my plants, and then I'll supplement with just kind of a general houseplant fertilizer. I've actually started using Jack's Orchid Food because it has a high nitrogen count. It's not the Bloom Booster Orchid Food. It's just the regular one that you feed them until they start blooming. I'm all about just Osmocote like you yeah. talked about at first. Just sprinkle some Osmocote on and that stuff feeds for like three months. Yeah, I will usually do Osmocote late March, um, early April, and then it'll feed through the growing mm-hmm. season. Then like I said, I'll supplement with like a liquid fertilizer, but I love it. And again, that Jack's Orchid food, amazing. Quarterly. Well, we have another houseplant question. Okay. So we have somebody asking, how do I clean the leaves on my Monstera and Fiddly Fig? They are currently covered in dust. So there are a lot of products, a lot of leaf cleaner products out there. I always suggest staying away from the synthetic ones. I don't think they're great for the plant because all you really need is like a microfiber cloth towel and 
some water just to wipe it off. We're just trying to clean it. We're not trying to treat anything. So there's no need to add anything to like shine it up and make it look prettier for a week. But in reality, in the long run, it's probably going to be pretty bad for your plant. So just start with microfiber water. You can use a little bit of diluted neem oil if it's bad. Um, Lemon juice, diluted lemon juice will also help with like those water deposits that get on the leaves and can get pretty hard to get off. But it is important to clean your plant leaves, too, because they can't photosynthesize properly if they can't get that sun through that whole layer of dust and debris to get to the leaf itself. So, you know, take a day, walk around your house, clean your plants. It'll also give you time to inspect it, see if there's any problems, any pests. If your plant is trying to tell you something, like it's time to be repotted. But no need to go wild and big with that. Just a cloth and a little bit of water. Yeah, and those microfibers, it, you can get them at places like Northern Tool. You can get 10 of them in Dollar a bag. General. Yeah, yeah for, anywhere. For like nine cents or something like that. They are all <laughs> and over. It, and they're along great. The same, huh? Along the same vein of uh, people who have solar panels know that they have to clean them because dust accumulation is going to reduce the amount of light that's available to create power that you're trying to do. So by the same token, you know, plants... That's where they get a substantial part of their energy is directly from the sun. So mm-hmm. if they're particularly if they're indoors where the, they are not exposed to natural rainfall, that dust does accumulate at times. You might just want to haul it outside and spray it with a hose might be the easiest thing to do and mm-hmm. then let it dry and then bring it back in. So let's take a little shift and talk about fall veggie gardening. We're starting to get a lot of questions on that. I think uh-huh. we took a dip in the weather. At, uh, we were in the 100s, and we've been kind of in the 80s the last week, which has been really, really nice. So I think people are starting to get excited about getting those fall veggies in the ground. So we have people wondering, is now a good time to start some stuff that they can harvest in the fall? And then what kind of plants do you suggest for a fall garden bed? If you're going to be starting stuff from seed, it probably is a good time to go ahead and get that going. You know, generally we get our fall veggies um, roughly mid, you know, the middle of this month of August mm-hmm. and all the way into like early September. There is a pretty specific window on when you want to get those out typically. And that's that's mainly based on our weather. And every year's different here, okay? Some years we have good fall veggies. Some years we don't. It's just part of being in middle Tennessee. Um, but there are specific veggies that you're going to grow in the fall, and this is going to be mainly your brassica family plant. So this is this is broccoli, this is cabbage, cauliflower, uh, Brussels sprouts. What am I missing? Cilantro, right. I like to grow in the fall. I think it's a great one to grow in the fall. Um, parsley as well? Parsley's fine. Parsley's a perennial herb. Okay. I mean, oh, you wow. Can, yeah, I mean, it's going to live even, it almost, it, a lot of times will stay evergreen through the winter. Doesn't necessarily look great, but it you know, stays up. Um, thyme. it's good to throw in there but um yeah carrots even you can probably get away with doing beets Uh uh, collards radishes radishes all those you know all the veggies that i don't really like that you don't really like (laughs) i like to grow austin hates i like to grow them but i'm just like (laughs) i ain't ain't trying to eat a beet i don't know i love beets turnip greens what's wrong with you i don't like a beet no turnip greens are just whatever even pickled beets you don't like those no i don't like pickled beets Turnip like greens and hot water cornbread? I like turnip from, greens. I don't oh. like the actual turnip. Oh, okay. Who likes really likes a turnip? They just throw them in there like, eh. Miss Betty it's used to put a, put a little bit of the turnip in with the turnip greens and cook them in there with the fat back. And, oh, okay. Hot water cornbread. Okay. Okay. Oh, David Bates. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Oh, oh Josh Carey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hot water cornbread. Now, Hold on to your 
What's your names, folks? <laughs> All right, we do have a question about rhubarb. I planted 15-year-old rhubarb from Pennsylvania in August of 2022. We had three small pulls this spring, but and it was very healthy. What earth mix product do you recommend to protect it this winter? How and when to apply? I'm surprised mm. that they got it to grow. I know, mm. me too, actually. It's great in Pennsylvania. My grandmother lives in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. She used to grow rhubarb. It was great up there. Down here, it can be a little tricky, so I'm happy that you've got it yes. doing well. Um, but if you're going to top dress with a product, probably going to be our Supernatural, which is our compost blend that we have here, and it's always yeah. a good time to put that down. I don't care if it's summertime, wintertime, springtime, whatever. If you want to add organic material with a compost blend, like adding our Supernatural mix is, is the way to go for yep. that. So, Additional support for the At Home Show is brought to you by Bates Nursery, a third-generation garden center located in Nashville, Tennessee. Offering the widest selection of plants and gardening supplies from large trees to house plants, from seeds to soil. Their knowledgeable staff will assist you with all your gardening needs. Open year-round, minutes from the heart of Nashville and beautiful Whites Creek, Tennessee. Browse their selection online anytime at BatesNursery.com. Bates Nursery and Garden Center, beautifying Nashville since 1932. Have to know what's in blue. blue. With Austin. <laughs> All right, let's do it. I'm going ahead and get this one out of the way so I don't owe anybody any more money. Butterfly Bush, <laughs> I hope you're watching. You took 27 of my dollars last two weeks ago for that old Pugster Blue Butterfly Bush. Hope it's doing well. Uh, there you sure go, Butterfly Bush. Great. I'm sure it is, too. I picked it, so it's got to be great. <laughs> he ended up buying two, but I had to buy him there one. So, uh, yeah, Butterfly Bush is blooming. I'll stay, well, and when we go to trees, what let's go. That? I know. Rosa Sharon, like we talked about earlier, just money this year. Just mm -hmm. money. They're beautiful. Crepe Myrtle still going, of course. They go forever. Mimosa still showing off, okay? Mm. Shrubs. Hibiscus, beautiful. I love hibiscus. Just massive blooms. It's, it's just, I'm just a sucker for massive blooms. Uh, hydrangeas, got to. All your limelights are looking good. I bet all your limelights are flopping a little bit right now. Am I right? Yeah. Mine are flopping Probably. a little bit. Probably. Yep. It's mm -hmm. been wet. Mm -hmm. Wet in the summer means floppy hydrangeas typically. I'm sorry about this, but it's, okay. it's part of it. They're still pretty. They're still pretty. Okay. Yes. Zinnias and Vinca are two <sighs> annuals that I picked. Oh, yeah. Because they're showing off, man. I passed a zinnia bed this morning, and, and you know, y'all know me. I'm not the biggest zinnia guy. Don't like But them. they put the these in guy. tight, and there is a massive little strip of zinnias that I passed this morning that are just really showing off. And you loved it, didn't you? And you said, I wish I had some growing in my house right now. I didn't necessarily love it, but I do think that they looked healthy. Amazing. <laughs> it's been a great <laughs> year for zinnias, actually. Year yeah, it's been wet enough this great. summer where they've just been really, Minor, they, they've liked it. Mine have uh -huh. taken off. My vinca looks real good. My vinca is real pretty right now. I put it in tight, real tight, and they are looking great. Alright, daylilies, still going. I'm not the biggest daylily guy. No, They're mine are still cool. going, though. They're kind of... I mean, mine quit early this year. They were like, I'm done, dude. Yeah. I hate this. Yeah. I mean, some of them did do that. There are, you know, daylilies that return, like Happy Returns is a common name. And it's like, they are a cultivar name. They'll they'll rebloom up for a fair amount of time. So I noticed some this morning on my way in still going. Canna lilies still going with the oranges, the reds, the, even the yellow cannas look really pretty. And then I've got a weird one for y'all. What? The old surprise lily. Mm-hmm. Lycoris is oh, the genus yeah. of this plant. And what a weird plant. Why yeah. does it do what it does? It comes out in the spring with leaves that kind of look like lilies. Kind of. It's a different yep. genus altogether. And then those leaves just go away. 
why i don't know they come out and then they just decide to drop Poof. they totally drop to the dirt you can just mow them you ain't even got to keep them up and then like a month later they bloom which is what's happening now it's those one stalk Surprise. with four <laughs> pink blooms atop of it typically and you're seeing these around in people's yards usually um and i don't know just like evolutionarily why would they decide to do that why get rid of that foliage and I'm assuming my only thought is, like, let's get rid of the foliage so I can put all of my energy into this bloom. But it's like all other plants don't have to do that. They keep their foliage up while they bloom. So I'm still confused by this. If y'all have got a better explanation, help me out because I don't know. But surprise, Lily's Lycoris, cool plant to grow. It's in the um, Amaryllidaceae family. It is. It is. Okay. Yeah. There you Amaryllidocious. Go. How about Amaryllidaceae. <laughs> so there you go. That's what y'all are seeing around town blooming. Interesting plant. Fun fact that fact. doesn't come up very often simply because it doesn't happen very often. Uh, each uh, Phytostachys, which is a bamboo family plant, they all go through uh, a life cycle. A black bamboo, uh, Phytostachys nigra, which is, you know, people have it around. Every, each cultivar, they're not on the same cycle, but each cultivar every 220 years or so mm. will completely die out. And it does it worldwide over wow. a period of about two years. So if you have black bamboo and it looks like it's dying, that's what's going on. Huh. It is dying. Oh, they, they will produce seed. They can come back from seed. As a matter of fact, that's how they do recover. But uh, if you have black bamboo and you don't understand what's going on with it, that's what's going on with it. Hmm. So. Interesting. Wow. Uh -huh. So we've got a couple questions this week from one of our viewers, Horton Monroe. He's wondering what worm, what type of worm would be eating the leaves on his tomato? So what do you think that would be? I know oh, we had a photo. There's, there's one. Uh -huh. Josh uh -oh. even nailed it. The old oh. tomato hornworm. I took a good picture of a hornworm and sent it to Tyler the other day. Um, that's probably what's happening usually with hornworm. Okay. Very, very tricky to spot. Even though they're very large worms, they're still very hard to see. So what you typically see first is damage. Yep. Okay, you're going to see a stalk of a tomato that just has no leaves on it, and it just looks like it's been wrecked, you know. And then you know to look for that hornworm, and you really got to look for that hornworm. It'll be, you know, like on a stem, mainly on stems eating leaves. Um, and when you spot it, it'll scare you. you go, Whoa. Whoa. What a worm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they fluoresce under worm. a black light as well, don't they? Do what? They fluoresce under a black light as well, don't they? I uh, think you're right about that. Yeah, yeah I've it, heard people go out at night to, I was well, going to say harvest them. but you Well, know it's I mean. a sphinx moth yes. is what it turns into with those big whitish green moths you see at night. Chickens <laughs> love them, you I know. understand as well. Oh, so. God, yeah. That's a good point. But yeah, we picked off, I think we picked off three or four off of my uh, tomato plant. So yeah, go out there and look for them. Google tomato hornworm so you know what you're looking for because they are hard to see. To wrap everything up, I know that Austin loves to talk about hydrangeas. So mm. we've got some hydrangea questions in today. Which hydrangea can I prune way back in winter without worry of blooms? It's going to be your Annabelle type. So Incredible, Annabelle, any of those you can certainly take back. You can take them to the dirt if you want to. Don't matter. And also mm -hmm. panicle style hydrangeas. So your limelights, your little limes, your bobos, all of those that are panicles, you can take those back without a problem. Do not do it to your endless summer variety nope. so those ones that bloom pink and blue that are round balls that we all like uh do not prune those i don't even recommend pruning them at all to be honest with you leave every bit of that up so you get a good chance of getting blooms for the next season mm -hmm. and speaking of that type of hydrangea why isn't my seaside serenade hydrangea blooming well it's not by the ocean 
That, there it is. It's not by uh, the ocean. Go, go, go. Can't see the beach. I'm wondering if you planted it recently. Um, it may not bloom this year. I hate to say that, but it may not. And there's a Seaside Serenade collection. I'm not sure which one. There's like arborescence type, but there's also macrophylla types of the Seaside Serenade. So I need to know which one. But if it is the macrophylla types, none of them bloom this year, y'all. We had that late frost that just whacked all of those mm-hmm. macrophylla hydrangeas. None of us are getting good blooms yeah, this year. None with those. of mine have bloomed. Uh-uh. I was so excited about them, too. Yep. It's not happening. Stargazer didn't do a thing. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Hydrangeas That's are 12, great, though. We plant a lot of variety of things because not yes. everything does great every year. That's right. It's just That's nature right. of it. No blooms. Mm-hmm. So hey, was, you see on the map up there, I pulled that up oh. just to kind of show you know, the storms. It kind of moved into the West Tennessee area. We might get a little bit here in Middle Tennessee. But, uh, again, be weather aware as we uh, go through uh, every day this time of year. It is just that time of year. We're getting a lot of, of uh, uncontrolled precipitation, as is always the case. I don't know anybody who can really control it. So. Anyway, be aware and uh, uh, stay in the garden. You know, there's nothing yep. happening that's going to keep you from being able to have success in your gardening efforts. So, nope. All folks, we thank you for being here. Go out on social media everywhere you're at. Like us, subscribe, share, send, you know, send stars if you want to, you know, do everything. So, because we're going to try to keep coming to you. That, that'll help. Sure will. See you next Saturday morning from the Green Room Studios here at Bates Nursery and Garden Center. That wraps up our first podcast from our August 5th broadcast. Tune in live every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Central Time to watch the At Home Show. Give us a follow, like, and subscribe on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and view on Vimeo. Thanks again for tuning in.